I literally, I think I think it started with me just saying hi to Napolis, um, the guitar player of Ana de Primera. Made a lot of good friendships um, all around, you know, through musicians, engineers, a lot of, lot of, uh, a lot of friends with the engineers. Um, and just in general, this, it was, uh, it's a, a pretty close community. Hello and welcome to another episode of the People Plus Art Podcast. Today I'm so happy to be able to sit down with my good friend, Dane Schultz. He's currently pursuing his doctorate at Columbia University in ethnomusicology, but he really has made a name for himself taking these wonderful videos of these Cuban musicians playing a type of music called Cuban timba and posting them to YouTube and to his Instagram. So we're going to delve into that and explore his travels across Latin America and why he got started doing these kind of projects. Be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram, on YouTube, and on Twitter. And if you've already done so, let's get to the show. I went to Argentina. Um, first, I went because I freaking love Argentina. And that, I had gone the first time. Uh, and I went the first time with, uh, with a church group um, and through, through YWAM, uh, Youth with a Mission. And I went and they have these like discipleship schools. And uh, they are all like, focus on different subjects or themes. Um, some of them are integrated with like programs where you can get certificates. Um, I don't know. I mean, some of some are like lifeguards. You can, people, they do surf ministry, all, all kinds of things within like society and, and, and whatnot. Um, and I went to a particularly one in, in, in Cordoba um, that was just based on music and like community outreach um, with music and, and uh, yeah. And I went there for, stayed there for about, I think a, a year, maybe a little more. No, over a year. Yeah, one full year and then a little longer. And uh, then while I was out there, I had the opportunity to go to Brazil. I spent a lot of time in Brazil um, and Cuba. That's where I got the opportunity to go to Cuba as well. And it all kind of just unraveled <laughs> from the Argentina trip. <laughs> so what kind of work were you doing when you were out in Brazil? So you said you were in Argentina and Cordoba. And then you went to Brazil. Where? Where in Brazil? Uh, uh, to Rio. To Rio. Wow. Doing uh, doing yeah. like missionary but type work. I went there personally, like on my own accord. I wasn't like attached to any like specific trip or group. And uh, I ended up staying out there for a while. I stayed with just uh, uh, my girlfriend actually at the time. And um, yeah, so I just did little things with, with her there. She was a musician. Her brother was a musician. They had, a, they had a group together that was, um, actually in some contracts with, with, with Sony at the time producing music. And so I, I would play with them when, with their events. Yeah. I would, I would talk in lots of churches and, and play, play music. I got to play some of the cooler like festivals of like, or, or it was like the only festival I've actually played. Now that I, now I think about it, like, like a bigger scale festival was, was there actually right like the first week that I like, I got to Brazil. That I did that show, and it was it was really cool. And then from Brazil, you ended up going to I'm assuming Havana. Yeah, actually, now that now that you mentioned that, I because I had gone to so it was weird because I was in Argentina for a long time straight for at least a year straight. Then I head to to Argentina again for like a month with the, to I stayed in Misiones um, in north, northern Argentina. Oh, that's where I was in Misiones. Oh yeah, yeah yeah, I love yeah. that place. Oh yeah, do you? So I'm assuming you went to Iguazu. 
It was, of course, I almost died there. Yeah. Oh yeah. How, yeah, yeah. How so? Well, I was so, of course, they put us in these boats, right? Like you take a tour of. I, I yeah. went with oh, you did that? Group. Oh, I did you that. Yeah, yeah, did that. I did that. Yeah. So you no know. Wonder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> for anybody who's never been to Iguazu, Iguazu is like, it's like nine times the size of Niagara Falls. It's this just enormous crater in the earth, and there's a waterfall. Mm. There's tons of waterfalls. It's gorgeous, yeah. and of course, when you go. You know, I went in with a student group and they're like, oh, do you want like a tour, you know, in, in a boat? And I'm like, oh, of course I want a tour in a boat. So, you know, a bunch of us got in a boat. And these guys, there's no OSHA out there. There's no like governing body of safety that I know of or that I saw. Uh, I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, I apologize, but I don't remember any. So I went and the guy was saying, who wants the best view in the boat? And I'm like, I want the best view in the boat. He's like, well, get in the front. So I get in the front and this is not like, you know, this is like a boat with a motor in the back and the dude's just sitting there with the motor. I think we had, I think we had life jackets on, but you could opt out. Sure and of course are. I opted out, right? Oh. I, I, I know how to swim and somebody <laughs> needed one, whatever. We go and the guy puts the tip of the boat like really close into like one of the main waterfalls, right? So there's a bunch of water falling in everyone's head. Goes in just a little bit too far, just a little bit too far and the front of the boat starts getting too much water into the front of the boat to the point where people start panicking. Meanwhile, I'm on the bottom of the boat. Like the water pressure is so hard that my face is on the bottom of the boat from the pressure and it starts filling up with water. So now I'm drowning on the bottom of the boat. <laughs> as, as I'm telling this, it's, it stops to be so funny. It starts to be more dramatic. You know, as a, <laughs> yeah. as, as a, It's a very fond memory in my head, but as I'm saying this, is very, it's probably not so good of a story. But so I almost black out. And I come to, and everyone's like pale as a ghost, right? And the guy, you know, the dude in the back, you could tell he was a little scared. He was like, hey, are you all right? And I pop up and I'm like, that was amazing. You know, this is really <laughs> what a fun trip this was. <laughs> this was such a cool experience. And then uh, after that, he kind of played it cool and he didn't take us into the waterfalls that much anymore. We kind of went around a little bit more and then we got off the boat. Yeah. But uh, but it was it's a beautiful place. I highly recommend. Once this yeah. COVID stuff is after over, everyone go to Iguazu. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah, La Cataratas. Uh, this, that, that main waterfall, the, if it's the one you're, I think you're talking about, it's uh, the biggest one they have there is La Garganta del Diablo. Like, <laughs> That's what it was? Yeah. That's what, yeah, yeah, yeah. The throat Something of the like devil. that. Yeah, I don't know if we went actually into it, but I remember that one for sure. Garganta del yeah. Diablo. Yeah, I remember. I remember seeing those those uh, those boats, and they would like go up close and like you know like come back. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was in there. I did I not was in do there. that. I did not do that. <laughs> Definitely so, went to the tops, all the waterfalls. Went through. It's a it's a huge park. They got. I think they have like 172, 170 something uh, different waterfalls. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous place. So okay, so you go to so you go to Rio and you were in Rio for a bit and you were playing. Now, how did you get to Havana? And this is all like what 2012, 13 kind of timeline. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think the last time I was in Brazil was uh, yeah around 2013. So from from Argentina, I went to Cuba um, for a first time um, for a month with some people that I had met in Argentina, just with two people that I met there that are from Misiones. Um, and I, I had never been, so, um, I, one of the friends had been, um, and I went with their contacts. They, I mean, I just follow, I followed along, I tagged along. I didn't know anything and, uh, it was great. It was intense for me. It was an experience. Um, why, why uh, so? Uh, cause I had never really traveled 
um, in that in that way. Um, I got really sick um, on the on the east on the east coast. We went to um, uh, Oregon, um, EMES, um, in Guantanamo. Yeah, I had gotten sick out there, and I was I was I was pretty sick sick for a while, but. Um, I never, I, I never stayed in a, a hotel. Um, I had stayed in a Casa Particular um, on the East Coast, um, but I had some friends that were able to support me on the on the West Coast, but even on the East Coast too, in some in some places. You started bringing cameras to all of your your expeditions and all your different travels, and a lot of these had to do with Cuba because one of the things that we share in common is our love for Cuban popular dance music, most specifically timba, and you started essentially getting really close with a lot of these theme by bands, right, Dane? Yeah, yeah. I became, made a lot of good friendships um, all around, you know, musicians, engineers, a lot of, lot of, uh, a lot of friends with the engineers. Um, and just in general, it was, it was uh, it's a pretty close community. How did that start? I literally, I think, I think it started with me just saying hi to Nopolis, um, the guitar player, Juana de Primera. Amazing um, one, guitar player. One of, their, one of their gigs, one of their gigs in... In California, um, uh, Yoshi's actually. Oh my God, I love Yoshi's. It's one yeah. of my favorite spots. Yeah, so I I remember just just reached. I saw him, you know, before the show, and I you know I I I recognized him from you know what I've seen on YouTube or whatever, and I just said, hey, you know, because I was you know I was playing with Latin jazz at the time too, and I was I had been listening to his around when the, the their first record came out. It was a uh, it was actually the year it came out. It was their their first tour out here. Um, and I, I mean, I, yeah, that was the first friendship I really made, but it kind of just, it, it just repeated, you know, every time they had come out and, um, I would, you know, meet more of the musicians and, um, and then when I, it, it, everything really kind of started happening the second time I went back to Cuba when I, I, I had gone, I went back on my own and I stayed with a, a relationship that I had made the, the first time I went out there. Um, that person also had, a um, where I was staying, that one of the one of the persons worked, you know, worked right there at the Casa de la Musica. So I had I had um, some cool access to the Casa de la Musica. I, you know, I come I have a background with you know recording and um, and playing. You know, and so I was really able to just kind of like talk talk with people, and it all started just with hanging out, like it, just talking and talking about music and and interest. And and I was I went I was always recording. You know, I always had like a camera and. Um, I started doing that, the camera stuff, just because I, I just remember being in the Latin Jazz Orchestra and always looking for the next, like, you know, recording of a live show um, and they're how, like, you know, valuable they were, these recordings, of, they were, like, on YouTube and how it was, it was hard to kind of, like, find some, good, like, quality recordings um, and just how every live recording was different, you know, how they do the different chordos, how... Uh, um, just the energy is different breaks in the song, rhythmic breaks, the stuff that was going on. So, um, and, you know, and a lot of the stuff, you know, we do with, with, with Mario's group in the Latin Jazz Group in Maricosta, um, uh, we would kind of like combine the different chordos from the different live videos on YouTube and, and uh, into a single arrangement for the, for the live concerts, you know, for our concerts. And uh, I think it was that like experience of looking for YouTube videos and 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 a lack of at the time too, you know. Um, yeah, at the, at at that time, the 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 ability for you know Cuban citizens to be able to have access to social media was not the same that it is right now. So I think that was also what like drove me to kind of start filming. So it was that film, the filming was was probably the one of the more bigger 
Sorry, it's not the biggest uh, like you know uh, doorway. Why 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 was it so valuable to have that live footage of a performance? Or for people that aren't musicians? Yeah, for people that aren't musicians that are listening to this. Well, why is it? Why is it? Why does it matter? Why is it so important to have this live footage? I mean, Oof. I mean, first of all, if no one's documenting it, then where does it go? You know, and and it's it's important to document things, especially when with people that are such good musicians. Um, you know, these musicians are incredible, and the music is incredible. Uh, and there's something that happens live that you know, you won't get anywhere else. You won't get it on a record. Um, it's a different, it's a different energy. There's a different feel going on. And specifically with Timba, the songs unravel in different ways. You know, they, it's very dependent on the environment, depending on what's going on in the audience, depending on the country, depending on like, you know, how, how the, they're going to, you know, how, what recorders they're going to sing, you know, or how, how long they're going to go for it or, you know, or keep the arrangement going. Um, that, and also, I mean, just for, for people to learn, for people to be able to, other musicians to be able to learn, you know, what these musicians are doing. Um, there's a lot of people that I say, I say Cuban musicians in general, it's like, you know, um, people look like, look up to a lot of Cuban musicians. There's a lot of great, I mean, they're a country that produces musicians and music and they have been for hundreds of years. And um, so it's a, it's it's something that you know people look for and they, they recognize, and um, when it's when it, when in the case of Timba, you know, and, and like at the time, like when I was saying when we we're playing, if there's something that's not being out there, that's not being recorded, you know, it, it should be facilitated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's that was the that was the end, and I would I would agree with you completely. I think for me, when I think back to that era of time, like 2012 to 2018, something like that. It, to have a recording, a live recording that you know is unique, that this performance mm -hmm. is not the same anywhere and it's not on any record, mm -hmm. and to have it be good quality was like, as someone who studies this music, oh yeah, oh yeah, it would, you know, it would be like, you know, finding gold, finding like a hundred dollar bill on the street, finding whatever. It, it's you would scour YouTube trying to find videos like this because then what you would do is you would learn. That's the holy grail. I remember when you started coming back with some of these videos, it was like, oh my God, how did you get in here? You know, how did you <laughs> get this? You're right behind the percussionist. You're right next to the musicians, you know? Yeah. So what was that like? How did you start getting to these festivals and these these shows to do these uh, videos? Um, yeah, like I said, it was just just through friendships, just making, making friends with the, the right people. I mean, not that it's just it just kind of happened you know it, i mean like I, that's what i was i was looking to talk to these people i wanted to learn learn i wanted to learn music i wanted to learn what i could um i wanted to play if possible i wanted to you know talk to the engineers and figure out what they're doing just because i'm curious so uh you know we we became friends and i just i kept showing up and i kept coming back you know i'll come back like the next year um and i ended up i started come back twice a year yeah i would tag along and then everybody was just everybody's just always been really you know gracious with me everybody's been super super receptive and friendly like i can't i can't even ex like express like how like how like generous everybody's been with me i would love to go over some of these photos and maybe you just give us like a rolling commentary of what was going on or maybe some of these memories or anything like this you have yeah. these on instagram right 
Yeah, I give you a bunch of a bunch of links from my from from some of the videos on the on the Instagram. There. Yeah, these are photos. So let's see, this is like a cream of the crop. So that's Isaac Delgado right there. That's uh, perhaps one of the most famous, my favorite singer for sure when it comes to Cuban music and timba. That's Pedro Martinez there. Uh, these two here, Isaac Delgado Jr. This is uh, what's his name from Manolito? Yeah, it's Amaray. Amaray. Yeah, singer Manolito. Those are all from the Manolito tour. That's yeah, that's Manolito Simone. Manolito again. That's that conga head yeah, studio, right? Yeah, yeah, that was that, that was that conga head right there. Um, wow. Mark Mark Cohen's studio. How, how would you describe the importance of Havana de Primera in Cuban music today? Yeah, that's a that's a big question. Um, it's a um, important question too because they're they're they are they are really important to to Cuban popular music, especially Cuban popular music after. Um, you know, 2000, after the 90s, after Timba and, you know, in the midst of the rise of, 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 of hip hop and reggaeton, um, they're kind of, they're kind of like Cuba's last defense. They kind of like revived what was happening with like popular dance music in Cuba, apart, apart from reggaeton, things of things that were, you know, connected with the, to, to, to music such as salsa and son and, um, and those traditions. And, uh, Alexander Breu really kind of uh, revived that and and, and uh, you know solidified a, like a, 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 a more solid future for for a lot of these Tima groups that are that are still continuing. Not not just him alone. There's a, there's other groups as well, but for for reasons that are way beyond what I can explain. You know, the Alexander and his group has they've just become more popular. They've just been or super popular. They, not more but just incredibly popular very quickly um and people like them and people really especially in cuba identify with their music and um um yeah so um i think with people like alexander's group and uh michael blanco as well they really uh kind of kind of keep this this team of thing and the salsa stuff going on in cuba and here's the guitarist you were talking about the guy who yeah sings, oh yeah that's napoles right there so it, it makes me so excited to hear that because I, I am as well coming up on the end of, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm finishing up my dissertation now in ethnomusicology, my doctoral dissertation at the musicology. And every time that we've talked, one of the things that I've always loved about what we've both seen as a major factor in providing uh, and in working into our, our studies is this connection, right? Like this, the, the importance of the music, not only, within the people who consume it, right? So in this case, we're talking about Cuban music and we're talking about people who consume Cuban music, but also broader, right? So how can this music and how can these experiences and these stories be used to enrich people's lives elsewhere, right? How can this be used to bring us together? And that's something that in the footage, in your photos and in your studies, I feel that you're always doing, you're always trying to bring people together using this amazing music. So talk, to, talk me and talk, tell the people a little bit more about that. Uh, what are you studying now? What are you pursuing in your doctoral studies, and uh, and and where do you see this this study of theme going in your in your doctoral career? Yeah, well, um, so yeah, right now I'm yeah I'm kind of I'm in my second year, so um, I got I got a long ways ahead of me still. I'm barely getting started, um, and it was definitely my my first year kind of you know took a hit with the pandemic and everything. So not that I was able to do less work. Thankfully, uh, I got all my field work done for my the master's thesis, like right before the pandemic. Um, I did a thesis um, 
based off of the the concerts from uh, Isak Delgado's tour. He came out here and he did a um, like a five like a five day gig at a um, at Birdland in New York. And um, so yeah, that, I mean that thesis was more about engineers um, and acoustomology, which is like a a knowing a knowing by hearing by knowing by sounding. Um, and uh, I talked about more about engineers and particularly Cuban engineers and that experience and this um, this listening, these modes of listening and thinking about sound from different perspective and anticipating what others think about sound while mediating it with technology as an, as an engineer. Basically being a front of house and listening well to rooms and that mode of thinking. So help me define for the, because it feels like every time that I tell somebody, oh yeah, I'm a doctorate student in ethnomusicology. I get this blank stare <laughs> and I'm like, and I hear back always, oh, music, right? <laughs> so as someone who's also studying ethnomusicology and you've already been past the PhD seminars, intro seminars, you're in your second year, what is ethnomusicology? Let's see if we can come up with a joint definition. Dang, man, that's that's another that's another that's another question I have trouble with, like the genre one. Um, uh, man, well, I mean, I'd say it deals. Sometimes it's writing about music without writing about music. Um, well, I mean, when you're talking about writing, is a, obviously a big part of it, a big part of like everything in academia, at least for the, especially the humanities, um, but social sciences as well. But then there's a lot of debate about what we you know this, the nature of social sciences or whether ethnomusicology is a social science and, um, and where it stands in that relationship with the humanities. Um, but, you know, there's the, it has compared to musicology, anthropology and its, and its history. Man, but it can go so many different ways. There's so many different disciplines that, it, that you can work with in ethnomusicology. Um, I mean, neurosciences and and uh, um, sound studies um, even you know dives into so many different things, but I think particularly ethnomusicology, the aspect of ethnography and doing field work. I agree with you completely, and I think the bedrock of ethnomusicology and where it actually matters is that you're talking to people. Yeah, there's a lot of music studies that don't talk to people. There's a yeah. lot of music studies where people are dissecting Mozart. There's no way you can talk to Mozart. Um, I'm not saying that those studies don't matter. That's not what I'm saying. There's a lot of very, very interesting studies on classical music and or, on music, not even classical music, on music that was done a hundred years ago that the people are have passed, and that and that's great. That's cool. Ethnomusicology was born out of this dichotomy, this binary relationship of Western music and everything not Western, right? The other it began. Ethnomusicology was coined in the '60s. So they called everything that wasn't Western music, ethnic music, more or less. This is their thinking. That's why the ethno is part of it. That is played out. That's old. That There's a lot of uh, debates now whether or not ethnomusicology should just be called musicology, right? Because why would you ever, what isn't ethnic music? What isn't music of people, right? Everything is music of people. Everything is people's music. However, the point that differentiates ethnomusicology, I think, and makes it special is that it requires talking to people. It requires understanding how the music fits in 
to certain people's lives and why it's meaningful. That's not to say that there aren't some studies in musicology to do the same thing, but as a defining feature, the discipline, ethnomusicology has, uh, for the most part, been reliant on that factor. Things like what Dane is doing and what Dane has done, even before he decided to make ethnomusicology his <laughs> discipline of study, he was doing things like that. He was going and making connections with the people, understanding why this music was so important to them, how it reflected, how it reflects their way of life, why it reflects their way of life in such a meaningful way, and then capturing all this with the express intent to share it with other people and to help people understand each other and to help people come together uh, more through music. That to me is why ethnomusicology is so important, why it's so meaningful, why it can be so meaningful. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I think, Dane, what you do is so important. It's because you <laughs> were doing it before you even knew there was a discipline where you, you could do this. Thanks, yeah, no, it's true. Um, that's, I'm glad you said that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, like I, I say that too, like, a lot of, you know, like in the beginning of the class, when I introduce you, like, why do you, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, I always tell people like, yeah, I basically, I, I was doing, you know, ethnography before I even knew ethnography existed. Like, not as in, like, I'm a pioneer or anything, but, like, I didn't, you know, I didn't even know about it. I wasn't reading about it. I wasn't, like, even pursuing academia at the time. So, I, um, it, it was really exciting to learn about, you know, the, the discipline. That's why in my, in my biggest goal going forward is to incorporate as much of their voice, their voices and their sound and their music as possible, you know. As someone who spent a lot of time in Cuba, how can we better those relationships as people, not politically? as people with them and with different places in Latin America, what would you say? Yeah, that's a, that's a big question, man. If you ever get the opportunity to go, you know, support, you know, support people, support what you can support the arts, support the, the extensions of, you know, the, the people working, you know, that are able to support their families, support, you know, Cuban families here that, you know, that have families back there. Um, if you want to see change, you know, vote, the people that the, it becomes a political thing at that point and vote for the people you want to see that are going to be in favor of a change in that. Um, uh, I'll let you decide who those people are, man. I'd say just support the arts, you know, like listen, listen to it, you know, learn about it, be aware for it, you know, and be respectful, be sensitive and, and, and listen. There's a book, uh, by Cesar Rondon. I think his name is, yeah, I usually have it. I usually yeah, have it here. It's right there, the Book of Salsa. The Book of Salsa. He talks yeah. about a pan Latin Americanism that has become characteristic of salsa music. Mm -hmm. uh, that I believe is perhaps one of the truest statements ever said about the music in general. That a Cuban music was able to become a symbol of pan Latin American identity in a way that be has become now a symbol of Latinidad. And I think that's that's perhaps been the biggest gift that Cuba has given to countless people and countless generations across the globe that they can hear a music and that music is perceived as Latin when in reality, for better, or for worse, uh, that, that music has a rich, rich, rich history with origins in Cuba. And we, we should all know that and realize that. And not to mention that a lot of American music is actually influenced, if not intrinsically Cuban in its roots. Uh, a oh, lot yeah. of, you know, I mean, a lot of the music is, it's just, Cuba and the United States have been interconnected since day one. And it's it's a shame that more people don't realize that. Um, it's a shame that more people aren't cognizant of it. And it's a shame that any kind of, uh, I would say it's a shame any kind of 
benevolence toward the island is met sometimes with a lot of animosity. I don't, I don't understand it. Um, and I wish we would get past it. Um, Dane, how can people be on the lookout for you? Where can they get in contact with you if they want to connect with you? Where can they see more of these, this amazing footage and these amazing photos that you put out? Uh, how can they get uh, in contact with you? Um, I mean, you can email me if you want. If you want to like talk to me, um, you can you can throw my email dgschultz at cox.net. Say hey, but you can just look at my stuff on Instagram. It's the same thing, dgschultz. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I'm hoping I'm hoping here once I get done with some of this, or you know, after the semester, maybe during the summer, when I'm kind of further ahead with this proposal uh, process. Um, to put together some uh, some hubs, some por online portfolio where I can kind of like post work a little more um, cleanly, and uh, it could be accessed a little a little easier. Well, thanks so much, Dane. This was fun. And yeah, uh, when you get that when you get that online portfolio, you got to come back on the show and tell us all about it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have some more videos and some stuff put together for the long show. That was Dane Schultz. Be sure to catch him on Instagram and on YouTube. Remember that Instagram is where he posts most of the clips from the videos that he does make public from all of his travels. The original interview in its entirety can be seen at the People Plus Art YouTube channel. Best of all, all of the music remains intact in that interview. You'll be able to see the original music videos that we talked about during the interview. And every time you share that video and a video is seen, that support goes directly back to the artist in that interview. Meaning any money made from those videos doesn't go to the podcast. It goes straight back to the artist that you love. The podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify as well as YouTube. So be sure to share, be sure to like, leave a comment, and interact with the podcast directly on Instagram. And tell me which artists you would like to see on the show next. See you all at the next one.